Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Mike, who after a deadly car accident and a near-death experience became a walk-in, and today we're going to learn about it. Mike, thank you so much for being on our podcast, and welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, Mike, I think it would be best if we start on the day that your NDE happened and go from there. Yes, so there was uh, another morning after working the night shift at uh, Menard Correctional facility in southern Illinois. It was a maximum security prison where um, I used to work as a night correctional officer, sometimes 14 hour, 14 hour nights. And I used to absorb unknowingly lots and lots and lots of bad energies from terrifying events that happen inside these walls. Mm. And at the time I was um, you know I was a state employee and back in that small town, there wasn't a lot to do besides working for the coal mines or working for the state, doing something. And because I had uh, a lot of military and security background from before, I decided to take this job. And I was a very materialistic person. I really wanted to make as much money as I could and you know, provide for my kids, but also live comfortably. So I didn't care what I had to do, even though many people would not even uh, make it to the first week in that specific prison. Like you have to be a real special person to work there. And I used to do that every night, sometimes six nights a week and for many, many hours and not realizing that this later on would affect my sleep in the way that I would just not sleep for days at a time, sometimes a week. And then um, one of the days off that I had, I didn't have enough seniority in this job. So my days off were in the middle of the week, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So I had to walk every, work every weekend. So Tuesday arrived, and I remember that I was uh, very happy and excited to not be mandated for overtime, and I can just go about my day and go home, sleep, and enjoy my days off. So I remember that um, I was uh, getting into my car, and I was heading uh, back home in this road called Route 3, and um, at the time, it didn't mean anything. But now when I look back, it was, uh, there's a lot of threes happened that morning. It was on a Tuesday. It was a 7.33 moment of impact, I believe. And it was on Route 3. And I was just uh, driving on that route. It was just nothing but cornfields on the side, in both sides. And I'm doing the same commute home and commute to work way of just one hour drive and just middle of nowhere and it was boring. And that morning I remember I'm driving and nothing really felt too too uncomfortable. Like I didn't feel too tired like getting into the car. I didn't I wasn't worried about that. But I remember just driving and listening to music or the radio. And um it was 70 miles per hour. I think it was a speed limit and I was doing the speed limit. 
And all of a sudden, I don't know if I closed my eyes or if I dozed off or if, if something happened. And I remember that my wheel locked, my brakes locked, and I couldn't move them. I felt like all of the hydraulic fluids were just emptied out and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I started wrestling with the car. And I remember looking at the, you know, trying to operate the situation and looking at the speed gauge. And instead of seeing it, you know, going down, it's all of a sudden from 70 going to 75, 80, 85. And the whole time I'm hydroplaning. I'm hydroplaning so bad. And I remember all of a sudden in front of me, there was another car coming. And it was, like I said, it was like 7.30ish in the morning. And, you know, it was a school day. So people took their kids to school and dropped them off. And I saw this mother and she had two kids in the back. And I remember I did not want to, to hit her. I said, you know, if I fell asleep, if something that I did caused that, I might as well just, you know, pay for it myself and not get other people involved. I was really concerned about that at the time. So I pushed the wheel. I, I turned the wheel as, as hard as I possibly could to the right, attempting to, to do something with that. And all of a sudden it worked. And then I'm just heading to this utility pole at 80 miles per hour. And, I'm, and, and this is the first time that I, that I realized, okay, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die now in my uniform, on the way back from work, not cool. But then all of a sudden, as I was approaching and I was holding the wheel and I knew I could not get out, I start, time started to become like slow motion. And I remember all of a sudden, like me who normally would dodge and try to cover up and try to do something, all of a sudden I'm holding the wheel and I'm smiling, like I'm welcoming that experience. It's like, and I don't understand. I like, I start laughing. I was like, what, what are you doing? Like something took over me. I'm smiling. I'm like, just bring it. And it's almost like I'm, I had for the first time ever, I really had no fear, no fear at all. And I'm holding that wheel and all of a sudden I'm heading to that pole. And I, here it comes that blast. Like I hear that boom. It was like an explosion. That was the moment of impact. And I could see slowly the airbag deploying. You could see like a white piece of cloth just starting to deploy. And then that's all I remembered. The second I opened my eyes, I remember I was upside down. And the first thing I remember is that I remembered everything. I remembered everything from the moment I might have dozed off or the moment that I was hydroplaning, the moment of impact, the airbag, me waking up. I knew it all. It was, there wasn't a moment that I was just didn't know what was going on. And I remember being in the middle of a cornfield. Apparently, looking back, there was five rollovers after. So if the impact didn't kill me, those other five uh, rolls should have killed me at that speed. And here I am upside down. And I remember that I was fascinated with what I found out. First of all, there was completely no sound. I was fascinated with something like there's no sound. It wasn't just quiet like we know in this world. Like it was quiet that you can never translate to this world. It was the mother of all silence. And it was comforting. And it was good to be in it. And I remember all of my senses were gone but my vision. I couldn't smell anything. 
I couldn't feel anything. And yet, you know, defined irony, I am upside down seeing myself crushed. Like I'm in the same world, the same situation. I know what happened just a minute ago. I see that uh, my van, which is another one of the miracles and the proofs, if you would, for the walking experience, which I'll get to in a minute. My van formed these gigantic forks out of sheet metal. They were supposed to just cut me to pieces because most of the impact was on the driver's side. There was a side that got completely crushed. And here I was, and I'm like, I don't feel any pain. I don't hear any noise. I don't smell any smell. But the most amazing thing was that I didn't have any thoughts. You know, I was emptied out of my thoughts. I just existed. And then I remember starting knowing things like, oh, I know what there are any thoughts. You don't need the thought. But then I told myself, but we always think. Even in, a, in our normal life, even when we were the most relaxed, we can be vacationing on an island somewhere, but we would still be thinking about how much fun we have. We always think. doesn't matter if it's happy thoughts, relaxing thoughts, we think. And at that moment, I didn't even have those. I just existed and I enjoyed it. And I didn't want to leave. And I, I knew that I was in a traumatic event and I was part of me was worried about what my loved ones would think, but I'm just okay. I don't want to move. And then I remember that as I was upside down, I was trying to get myself out and I couldn't. Everything I touched was just, I was going through it. And I'm looking out the window and there she was, there was a woman that was dressed in black. And she, the most noticeable things were two things you could notice about her. Once she had those clothes from the 1800s. It was very old school, like it didn't belong to 2014 at the time of the accident. Not at all. And then she had a burn scar on one of her cheeks. I can't remember which one. She had a hair scarf and she was in the mid 60s and she was pacing up and down outside my car, like three to four feet outside my flip car. And I'm looking and I remember that I was just waving at her from the inside. And, and, and remember, I'm still in there and I'm feeling amazing. I don't even know why I want to get out, but I'm waving. Hey, help me help that because there was no sound and she just nodded no and kept walking <clears throat> excuse me so I remember just doing this and doing this and nothing she wouldn't help me and then I remember that I was noticing the change in my soul for the first time I remember that old me would have been judgmental would have been mad would have probably started swearing and yelling and, and getting all aggravated and I remember that I was like, I didn't judge her. I judged her for good. I was like, maybe she's just worried that she's going to do more damage than any help. Maybe she's just worried that the car's going to set on fire. Maybe she's just worried that, I don't know, that she's going to hurt me and not do any good. And I remember closing my eyes, trying to gather some strength, going to sleep with that feeling that don't judge. You don't want to be in her shoes. And it wasn't even a split second after I closed my eyes. I opened them up. And it's just like you hit a play on a pause movie. Everything came back to life. All of a sudden, I hear tons of noise and people screaming outside. 
I was actually outside the, in a, in a, inside the, the van and I smelled gasoline. The van was still on and turned on. And then you, you smell and you hear those hoses, those broken hoses, the radiator hoses. It's like, it was like steaming, steaming sound. And I'm like, I feel, I started to feel the pressure because note, I'm still crushed. And there's this forks and I had videos of that that I posted on my page of these, I'm walking around the car and these forks are there crushing the driver's side. And here I am and I'm like, I'm okay. I knew that I was back in this world and I was just reaching out to the car and I turned it off. And then I hear people like screaming at me not to move, not to move. And I'm like, I'm back in this world, but I'm okay. How is this possible? And then this paramedic just running to me and screaming. I hear him echoing, don't move, don't move. And I said, sir, I'm really okay. You can let me out. And he said, no, you think you're okay. You're not okay. And he just kept screaming that I'm not moving. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to play along here because, you know, they don't believe me. I, I'm telling them I'm okay. And he gave me an IV through the window. And I remember I'm saying, you know, sir, why can't you just get me out of here? And he said, I can't. I'm going to have to get the jaws of life, which for those who are not familiar, these are hydraulic machinery that the firefighters use to extract passengers. They just rip apart the car. And they had to come and do that. And I remember just like, I'm just going to close my eyes and think about the experience that I just had because that was amazing. I still miss it. And let them do their thing because I was fine. So they're cutting the car up and they're just extracting me and cutting my uniform and giving me a shot of morphine to my stomach against my will. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I keep saying that I'm okay and they wouldn't listen to me. Took me in the ambulance and rushed me to the ICU. And I, in the ambulance, I see that sheriff reporter lady just sitting writing a report. And I was like, ma'am, can I ask you a question, please? And she said, well, it's better you don't talk right now. And I said, well, please, it's important. And she said, well, what's that? And I say, you know, isn't it against the law for a citizen not to help him out a citizen in distress? You know, I was just stuck there. And this lady was just not even talking to me or calling anyone. And then she goes, what are you talking about? We were the first in the scene. There's nobody there. You're in the middle of the cornfield. And then I started doing the math. And I'm like, huh, this happened. I'm okay. And I'll get this. I'm rushed in there. That's the last part. And they gave me like a VIP treatment. All these MRI and X-ray and CT scans, they all came to my room. And they did it so fast and so efficiently. And I was, I felt so important that, that I'm being treated like that so fast. And all of a sudden, after two hours, the doctor comes in and he's like, listen, I'm going to have to let you go. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, you don't even have a bruise. Not even a bruise. Not even a mark. And I went home and three days after, here they come, the panic attacks, the visions, the dreams, the knowledge, the change in the soul, the deep depression, the being just in a Wrong place at the wrong time, but actually it was at the right time for other people, which only now I know about. So. Mike, thank you for sharing your experience. Who do you think that lady was? A spirit guide or an angel or what? You know, I'm not sure who that lady was, but I, one thing I can tell you that I know and am sure about 
I was in a dimension between this world and this other world to come. There are seven of them. And the first thing, before even the world that most NDEs enter, there is this, this dimension which completely resembles this world. It's the same thing, but there's nothing physical about it. It's all spiritual. When we see our real selves, see, I also looked at myself at the time and I saw the light. And then I remember realizing that when people have NDEs, they see themselves. They see their own soul ascending out of their body. They don't, they can't think. So when they describe it, they have to describe it in human terminology, in earthly terms. But the light that they see is not the internal light. The one you become part of, that for that, it's like an elevator. You got to take one floor at a time. But when you see the light, when you're about to cross over, you literally see in your soul coming out of your body. And I know that that lady over there was something out of that realm. I don't know if she was, she had anything to do with me. I don't know if she wanted to take me and I was protected because I felt protected. I'm not sure. Maybe when you were asking her to get out of the car, she thought that you were wanting to, you know, leave the earth and go to another realm. And she was trying to tell you, no, you need to stay here. Could be though. I remember that, um, when I looked at her, I didn't get uh, at the time the positive vibe. Like I, I, I thought that something about her did not feel quite good. However, when I was in the car, I felt, and, and I know exactly how to describe it to people. You know, sometimes when we are in complete darkness, especially in a place or room we don't know or we're not familiar with, we feel like something is there with us. Like our soul feels like we're not alone. You can't really describe that feeling, that little paralyzing fear that we have, but we forget to breathe. Feeling something is here with us, even though we cannot see that. So I describe what happened to me in the car as the opposite, the good thing. Like I had a good feeling that something good is with me, though I can't see it. And it's protecting me. And it was almost like petting me, tickling me, and making me just feel like I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be regardless how I was upside down. And I didn't care about that. I just knew that I was safe. And I needed to come out. But for some reason, it's like I wasn't supposed to go out. So you just mentioned that after all this happened, you started having panic attacks and other stuff. Do you yeah. think you were having panic attacks because... It's kind of like PTSD and you were reliving the car accident or was it because something spiritual happened to you and you were moving on to some other spiritual existence? PTSD can be the scientific earthly description of the following months that came after that. I believe that this panic attack was the result of, a, of a, a, a spiritual battle I was going in, going through myself because I was changing in front of my own eyes and I didn't realize why and who is this person I'm becoming or became. And when you completely going through and 180 change <clears throat> and, and that's when you're already so deep in life when we are 
in your second marriage and you're a father to three children at the time. You can't just, just change. And I, and I didn't realize what was going on with me, why I'm completely changed and becoming way more spiritual and becoming very clairvoyant. And I know before that I was the most I was skeptical. I would probably make fun of somebody who was like me now. And that was only like seven years ago. I was just this, you know, very materialistic person. And, it, and, and, and then after that, I was like, what am I becoming? I'm becoming clairvoyant. What is this? Like, and then people used to call me, like, use your clairvoyantness to do this. Use and all of a sudden, I started relying messages that people who passed in some of my close friends and circles, and then they were very shocked. And I was like, you know, keep this thing between us. Like, I don't, I, I want nothing to do with that. And I just, I, I really was just, myself, I was completely not really enjoying it at the moment when it happened. And instead I was just falling into depression and this change of personality was taking me to a point when I was even suicidal a couple of times and ended up being in a hospital, um, not realizing that everything I'm going through right now was supposed to be my academy of how to help souls. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that because I never belonged in a hospital. I never really lost my character or my good nature or my teaching abilities. I was just going into a spiritual battle with myself. It's almost like something say, hey, step aside. I need to show you how it's done right. You've done enough wrong in your life. You need to step aside out of the game. I'm here, I'm your sub. You know, I'm your sub forever. I'm your sub right now. In the beginning of this podcast, I said that you became a walk-in. How do you define a walk-in? And what do you mean by that? I can define it in a way that everybody can understand, and then I'll go more to depth if you would. A walk-in, if a, if, a, if a demonic possession is the negative influence of a soul entering the body while the body is still alive, a walk-in will be the opposite. It's a positive agreement between souls that after a traumatic event, which can be as a result of a car accident, one soul left the body and at the same time, at the same time, while they're just completely crossing one another, another soul enters. And usually that soul is a soul from a righteous person. Doesn't matter if they're righteous in religion or just righteous. I don't, I look, when I talk to people, and you mentioned religion when we, before we started this podcast, you know, I go deeper than that. I go to the root. I come from the root. I don't come from the days of religion. I look at people at souls, regardless who they are. And it's all the same common language. So I know what I'm doing. And I never let religion stop me because I'm go deeper. Adam and Eve had no religion. I talk, I speak their language. So a lot of Kabbalah has to do with the creation of the world. And Kabbalah was something that I had no clue about. In fact, I thought it was a scam. I thought it was like a billion dollar industry. I didn't know the types of Kabbalah. There was industrial. I didn't, who cared back in the day? I didn't care. I wouldn't even read about it. 
And all of a sudden I dream about angels and I see the numbers and the sequences and dream interpretations and how the world was created and why it was created by them. And why even some creatures in the depth of the ocean that know the naked eye has never be able to see why they're there and why they're there in these rows and those rows and why the baby is crying when they're first born and why a person usually always pass peaceful. All these things, like in the flash drive coming into my mind, unwelcomed. And it was forged in fire. I was going through a lot of bad news after bad news. And then I realized if you want to ascend, you're going to ascend from somewhere. And it's got like a spring effect. You always ascend from the bottom and then it shoots you up. And then I was able to come here and meet my twin flame, which is another spiritual missing puzzle piece. And you reach full ascension, you start teaching and doing your tasks. Like a soldier, I got orders. So are you saying that the old Mike that was you is gone and who I'm talking to right now is a completely different being inhabiting Mike's body? Yeah. Yeah. I even felt that, and I had to say that because it it's, can be very emotional. I love my family to death. See, my agreement that I had with the souls, the soul agreement is that to keep the memories. Mm. You know, in, uh, in Hebrew, in Kabbalah, there is terminology to that. It's called incubation. Think about it. It's like you borrow somebody, let them be pregnant with different souls, and they're just waiting to incubate. But you keep your memories. So the people that have been with you, they give you your life, your past life in that body, all these memories, they stay so you don't go crazy, so you can continue to fulfill your task. But you just attract yourself to good. You try to influence people. And I was influencing people not realizing. Why I end up in a mental institution? Because I just said a word to my ex-wife that wasn't even that bad. But it's almost like, no, I was drafted to be stationed there. And then I ended up having the whole world giving me thank you letters. And some of them were healed. And I have the proof for that. It was like, and I was like, what? Why? Oh, and you inspire this and you inspire that. And you ended up like talking to this and helping this widow because you know what exactly what her son is dreaming about, what number. And then you solved it. And then he was like, I look at myself and be like, listen, this is, there's a calling going on here. But then the more these callings were coming, the more tribulations I used to encounter. They always come as there's a spiritual balance. I could never enjoy the fruits without eating the thorns with them. And until this day, I'm talking to you and healing from a very complicated back surgery. Do you recall any of the memories prior to entering this body? Like what you were doing? Yes, like I said, the memories start, but they lose their emotional part. Can you tell us some of the things that you remember? I had a friend when I was a police officer, and it was 20 years ago. I was here right before I moved to America. And that friend uh, now, he, uh, he does hair straightening, I guess. He, he does hair products, and he goes to people's homes, and he does hair straightening for women. And I kept in touch with him. Nothing special, just kind of a couple of times a year and birthdays and whatnot. And when I moved back, and we were very close friends. We were joking. We were like brothers. We, I came back and he said he's going to come and do my wife's hair. And I said, well, that would be nice because we would be able to catch up. And I was very excited. 
I took the day off from work and he came over and, you know, after he was hanging out with us, he kind of kept noticing and told my wife, this is not the man I know. Something happened to him. And I was like, yeah, I've changed a lot. I'm not the same person, but I was, you know, polite and didn't want to go into all that spiritual stuff with him because I knew that he knew me on a certain level and I wanted to keep it like that. And I think I may have gave you the wrong question. What I was trying to ask is, you entered this body seven years ago during the car accident, right? Yeah. So prior to that car accident, before you you know, took over the body, do you have any memories before that car accident? Where were you in the oh, spiritual world and oh, what were that, you doing? That's so, me now, yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Of course, I've lived many, many, many lifetimes. One of the examples is that I tell my wife that I don't completely don't agree with morality uh, of nowadays society. I, a lot of things that I, I just watch and I'm kind of shocked. Like I just, I'm so old school to a level of reincarnations, reincarnations, all the way to times of creation of the world. So Enoch. Do you think that some of this panic attacks that you had was due to you trying to get adjusted to this body and this current lifetime? It was exactly that. And I remember that I used to have visions. I used to see like millions of creations, angels and entities and beings around us in any given moment. And I used to tell people, if you could see what I would see right now, you would freeze and probably get a heart attack and die on the spot because this is scary. And then my heart rate would go up and then I would do my uniform getting ready. I was just with friends. I had a big pool table, it's a plain pool, ready to go to this night shift. And then friends would be like, listen, you gotta go to the hospital. You're, you can't stop sweating. And then I used to see all these things and angels hovering over and different things. And then I saw like creation. So realized later on when I was still looking for answers, cause only this year, is where everything was revealed and, and answered. But back at, back at the time, I was uh, seeing this world on a spiritual level. Like everything that's spiritual, opposite of this physical, there's a spiritual part to everything. Even to the smallest organism, there's a spiritual part, uh, version of it. Do you think this car accident and you entering the body was all pre-planned? Everything is pre-planned. Pre everything but our choices. But in the end of the day, we are going to fulfill our journey one way or another. Our choices just sets up the map, the road. But everything is pre-planned, yeah. I believe so. Hmm. It, it, was, it was amazing because the synchronicities, the, every time you say that word is because over the years I realized that that was one of my main things, that like, things happened to me to lead me all the way to even talking to you right now. And my goal, my mission, you know, the accident story, the walking story is very nice for the viewers, very nice for shows such as yourselves, you know, but what I do after the, what I started, what I've been doing, how I help people deal with loss, with severe depression, how I talk to their soul, you know, some people go, will go to a medium 
to talk to a loved one who passed over to the other side, and that's what they need the medium for. See, I have these abilities, but I chose not to do that. What I do is I read the souls of the living, and I help them adjust. So if they need communication, I will teach them how to do it. Can you give the audience any tips to improving their lives? I think that once you realize that you are a soul, first and foremost, you are a soul that has a body and not a body that happens to maybe, yes, maybe not have a soul. Know that you are a soul. Know your capabilities. Know what your firstborn instinct is, which is to attract to the good. Try to give up the ego. Try to ascend. You'll be able to see your own light. You'll be able to even be like some biblical figures. And without bringing religion, regardless of your religion, some biblical figures that were able to even walk to the gates of heaven while they were still alive, they didn't have to pass for that. It's that level of ascension and everybody's capable to. You're living in Tel Aviv and obviously that's a predominantly Jewish region of the planet. Do you talk about this stuff? And if so, how well is it received over there? Um, so like I said, I when I talk to people, I more used my uh, walking and near-death experience as like a booster to get people interested. But then the common language that we speak is more of like a therapist, even though I'm not a professional. I don't give people medical advice or try to replace their medical advice. Not at all. I speak to them from soul to soul, and I give them another spiritual angle. But at the same time, when you talk about that in an area that is very conserved and very uh, structured already, you would be considered somebody, uh, well, a lot of them agree with me, but in order for, for me to announce what I announce about myself, I'll have to be part of them or at least following what they follow. Otherwise, it won't work, which is, you know, that's not true, but I respect everybody's belief and opinion. Earlier, you mentioned um, something about the seven different levels of existence or heaven. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, there are seven worlds. There are seven worlds. I recommend um, if people are interested in just uh, enriching their knowledge, the spiritual knowledge, and they, if they ever read about Kabbalah, there is a book called the Book of Creation, or in Hebrew, Sefer Yetzirah, which is, shows how the world was created with letters and numbers. And the worlds are seven worlds. Seven has a huge significance. There's seven big rivers, seven oceans, seven sabbatical years. There's a lot of sevens. And there are seven worlds too, seven spiritual worlds. And they're all going from this world all the way to the seventh one. Actually, there's a term even called the, the seventh heaven. A lot of people call seventh heaven. Why? Because they know that the seventh heaven is the highest of all world. Over there, you have to be completely in full ascension. Because even your soul, just like in this world, you can have a certain lifestyle and you can upgrade your lifestyle all the way to, to be like one of the richest people on earth. So think about it spiritually as well. You can get to a lifestyle when you are in the seventh heaven. 
And all of them are kind of like mirror of, of what you acquired on this physical earth as far as spiritual tools, because no physical thing that we have acquired during this lifetime can help us in any of this world, but this one, this specific one that we are at right now. And the other ones, it's nothing but spiritual tools and the amount of light you have as a soul. It's the only thing that will guide you. Are there any elements of your NDE or what you've experienced afterwards that fit in with the Kabbalah? The, some of the elements are, have to do with the soul and how they view the soul, but so other many other faiths and beliefs. So I don't want to say it's just the Kabbalah. Like I said, I go deeper than that. And um, I talk a lot about angels, especially in my page, because I talk to angels. And I like to explain uh, people how what science nowadays called aliens are in fact angels. And we've been encountering them more and more lately to a point when the U.S. government or former president starting to just admit it altogether. And this is very, very interesting. Hmm. It's interesting. Because we are getting visits. Yeah. These are angels. It's interesting because I think some people will believe that aliens are demons. Demons are also angels. They're all, they're all, uh, they're all, it's just like, think about it. Like you have actors and actresses in movies. Somebody has to play the villain, but in the end of the day, they're not really villains. They're just actors and actresses are supposed to play the villains. Same thing. There is no, there is no bad or evil. It's just, it's the reduction of good. So they're, they're there to, to try to cause that, but they're angels. Angels who are called demons. Mm. They're angels who are just like uh, bicycles. There are what people, modern day spaceships that people talk about. These are the Ophanim, which is angels who are like rings, one next to each other together, and they just go different directions. And they're like the transportation that the angels use. When you talk about the Merkava, the wheels of the Merkava are mm -hmm. Ophanim angels. And then you have Seraphim as well, and you have animals. Yeah. I would say most of the people who experience contact with angels during their NDEs are contacting Archangel Michael. Yes. What can you tell us about Archangel Michael? He's hero. He's the he's the warrior, the bouncer, the one that's supposed to stand on the threshold and really protect all the angels and the humans that the angels are interacting with. Because some angels are solely there to interact with the human part of creation. You know, they're there to be our guardian angels. They're there to be angels to try to lead us to temptations. All these stories of folklores about devil and demonic and Satan and all that stuff, they're all real, even though they're not real in the way they are described, every faith with their own version. What's really is that our angels are there to take care of everything in this creation. They're the operating, they're the staff member. If this world was a big fancy building, they were the staff company, the, the, the maintenance company. They do everything. And part of it is also interacting with humanity and make sure we are protected, make, meaning that we're not going to get hurt, not based on our actions and choices. Like freak accidents, how you call them. Michael is one of them to make sure that doesn't happen. 
because for every Michael, there's also angels who play demons who try to pull their side. Mm. Has to be balanced. Everything is balanced. If you believe that there is heaven and good and spirituality, you must believe also that there is the other side. I don't like to call it bad or evil, but there is the other side. In Aramaic, ancient Hebrew, they call it the other side. The Sitra Akara, which is this, the side that we don't like to talk about, but it's everything that we create negative with negative actions or negative choices. We create some bad things. Would you consider Benefits. Would you consider angels to just be kind of like non-human energy beings that sometimes they play roles as good and sometimes they play roles as bad? Yes, they're here for a purpose. Think about pets, animals. What do you think animals are? They're not humans, but they have souls. Now, animals, if you think about it, cannot choose between right and wrong. Animals solely operate based on instinct. An animal cannot hate. An animal cannot gossip. An animal cannot murder. Everything they do, they do either to, to protect themselves or to feed themselves. Mm. Nothing else. They can't tell a lie. They can't do all this stuff. Angels operate the souls of these animals. These animals are there for us. Even you can say, okay, so what does this dog or house cat do for me? They're here to test our compassion. They're here to test how we just deal with things that cannot really give us in good conversation or do us a favor back. Everything is there for, you know, even the smallest organism, even our, our red and white blood cells. Think they're all operated by angels. Everything that physical has to have angelic intervention. So we can choose right from wrong. See, in fact, we are holier than angels because we have the right we, we, we have the right to choose. We can manifest. We can create. We can create as our speak. I don't know if you knew, but abracadabra in Hebrew is I will do as I will speak, meaning mm. you give your words manifestation. I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so this is abracadabra. Abra, I will speak. Kadabra, as I will do. I will do as I, as I will speak. Sorry. And this is what they use in magic, meaning I will say and something will come out. Now, that's a manifestation. So now if you're talking to religion, Christianity and Judaism, who believe in the Bible, we'll go back for the, to the book of Genesis. And you'll say we were creating, all creations were created by let it be this, let it be, let it be, all with words, manifestation of letters. Human beings, us, because we are above angels, we were just being breathed on. It was a breath. It wasn't never words. So we are supposedly holier than angels and more powerful. That's why I tell people, treat your soul with respect. Know who you are as a soul. Value that ability that you have because only then you will have the ability. In Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. But they use the plural, let us. Who is us that that's being referred to? The angels. See, these were create, created like a little after the moon, between the moon and the sun, all the angels and all the demons and all these things were created. All these things that the, all the souls that were supposed to come down for the animals, they're all gathering. In fact, the angels were even, according to the stories, the angels were telling God, what do you need it for? They're going to betray you. They're not going to, you're going to give them temptations. They want it right now. 
You cannot let them see what's after and just put them there. But this is the game, is to know we are a soul, even though everything else is trying to tell us we're not. But uh, angels were there and let us. It's them. It's them. What is the point of us reincarnating over and over and keep coming back? It's like if you're a father to a child who keeps misbehaving, but you don't want to give up on him. You'll be like, you know what? Go back to your room and come back when you're ready to change. Or go back to your room and you come back when you're ready to change. And sometimes it's, it comes with spanking. Sometimes it comes with a timeout. Sometimes it comes that I'm going to rip you off all your friends and video games. But come back to your room, back to me again, and back to your room and be ready to change. That's exactly what it is. Do you have any knowledge? None of us free love. Do you have any knowledge of what happens to people right after they die? Like, where do they go and what do they do before returning? Just like everybody on this earth have their own personal life, their own personal alone time, their own personal aspirations and plans. When we pass, we don't all scoot together and go to the same place. Everybody will relive their consciousness as a soul. But the only thing they will see will be their actions, whether they were good or bad, that they did spiritually on this world. Because we are remaining on this world. We are, this is one of our big stations, but the only things we have is spiritual tools. That's why sometimes people stay stuck. And it's, you know, some people say, oh, they chose not to see the light. No, your soul wants to be, choose to see the light because your soul is the light, but you can get lost. You can get lost just like in this life. If you don't have knowledge, you're lost. If I don't know where I'm driving, I'm going to have to stop and ask somebody. Can you tell us more about the abilities that you gained after your NDE, like the clairvoyance? Yes. Um, I used to see people, and I still do as souls. I see their level of light. I could see if somebody is happier or sad or excited, and I really would just see their aura i would i could see that and i would just know things like people especially if people lost somebody i would just randomly stop them and just have a normal conversation and then i'll be like hey your husband missing you and he said that he's missing dancing with you and and they're like they start crying almost fainting how do you know i don't even know you are you tricking me are you this and it's like no i don't even know why i told you that man i'm really sorry i just felt it and stuff like that. And then I would just wouldn't be able to sleep and I would dream and I would have like very vivid dreams that I realized were not dreams. Or my soul, when I dream, when I sleep, my soul would leave the body. There's no other explanations. And I knew that it took me seven years. And I was just trying to find answers and trying to find answers. And I couldn't find any answers until I found my twin flame. And then when I started investigating this again and somebody told me about the walking, and I was like, wow, you know, I could never relate to all these other indie years with all their lights and being in this flower fields and here and there. Um, you know, mine is like, yeah, I was stuck under the car and I saw a scary lady. And but yet I wasn't hurt Like nobody had to bring me to life. Nobody had to like fight for my life. And nobody saw the, the heart monitor going like I was fine. I swapped souls. So it's kind of you know, not your everyday story, but. The ability to mentor, the ability to speak to people's soul and pick them up. Like if it, 
imagine a spiritual arm just reaching out, picking people up, it's like special operations at the bottom of the barrel. Like when you're down to depression, it's like I've been around these people, mental illness. Oh, God put me in these jobs then. I used to then be as, after, during COVID, the security guard in the hospital. Imagine the ER when I had to go through, people come in there and then they're violent with the whole world. I walk in two minutes, they walk out hugging me, crying. And these are real people, real proofs. And I was like, this is, this is what I'm supposed, this is why I almost died. This is why I swapped soul. This is why, this is it. And I learned to embrace it. And I do it on my page. And I just have people from all over the world, from India to England to America, all mostly people that don't know how to deal with a loss. and just want somebody to give them that spark of hope. And I do that. I do that just fine. And it pleases me and brings more light and good. And I invested my life for that. I'm healing from surgery. I should be in bed. 20 hours a day, just trying to recover. But instead I sit and I spread that message because everybody needs to know that about themselves. It's not about a religion. How do you define twin flames? When you descend to this world, uh, part of the things that are going to try to make it hard for you, reach ascension or reach self-understanding that you are a soul inside, that's ascension, is to know your soul that has a body. Um, part of it is that your soul will split to two parts, to the feminine part of your soul and the masculine part of your soul. And they'll be usually scattered. And most of the time, it makes it hard on you because they come in different lifetimes, different reincarnations. So most people, unfortunately, but most people, because of their past life mistakes, don't get to... Re, uh, to reunite with the twin flames right away. However, if you ascend enough, if you're getting spiritual enough to a point when you almost realize the whole game, quote unquote, you will magnetize your twin flame to you and as it will be an essential part of what you need to do for others. See, without my twin flame, I could never help others. I could never be able to help others the way I help them now. I could never have the peace myself to know that I have no problems whatsoever. My life is happy no matter what. And I genuinely mean it when I say I'm happy. My whole life should be of somebody who's supposed to be completely depressed and devastated. But in reality, I've never been happier. And all of that need, was needed uh, you know, for me to do what I needed to, to reunite with my twin flame. Because then the puzzle is complete, complete. If you can, and you're fortunate enough, then this world. So I have a lot of knowledge about Twin Flames too, and the signs and all this stuff, and how it's amazing. You can bring them from other reincarnations just by believing in them, just by doing good and being spiritual. Right. I've heard you mention a couple times that you have a page. So do you have a Facebook page and a website, or a Facebook page instead of a website? It's a Facebook page instead of a website. It was not planned. Both me and my wife are really clueless when it comes to social media or trying to be social media figures. I was just trying to find a platform where I can reach to as many people as I can and help them. So how do I help people? You know, if I help them uh, by just giving them motivational videos, so that's what I do. I record myself with different about different subjects sometimes i'll speak about angels mostly about depression and anxiety 
and how we deal with it on the soul level. Think about that I'm like a living parapsychologist that help people. And now if people want sessions with me, I do that. I do it every day. I do it. I, I put my life into it. I have kids, family, but I put my life to it. So I do it and I tell people I don't even charge. I do donation-based. What is donation-based? Is whatever you want if somebody is, and I'm not doing reading like people think. I'm not doing the morale. I'm sitting with a person and I'm like a soul surgeon. If they need an SOS treatment to their soul, I'm there. And it can be anything. And there's a list of things. And, and, and to me, this is my assignment. My wife does all behind the scenes. I don't even know what's going on. I speak to a person. I connect. I feel my hands are getting hot when I talk to them. I feel like I'm choking. That's when I know that I really connect to whoever. They'll speak about their loved ones. I will assure them that they're okay, but I don't do any more than that. I speak to the person themselves. And then I enlighten them and teach them the tools to be more spiritual and spread more good. And get them off depression and off the, off the darkness. If people want the illuminated to, soul. You said you make videos. Do you have a YouTube channel or are you posting those on Facebook? I have a YouTube channel and I post them on Facebook too. It's called The Illuminated Soul. But if you want to find me as far as the username, if I don't mind, uh, if you don't mind, it's The Illuminated Soul 27. 27 is the number that we channel and connect with my wife's parents. Both passed away. My wife's an orphan, but we connect with her mom. She sends us this sequence of numbers almost on a daily basis. All right. If you send me the links to your YouTube channel and your Facebook page, I'll post them in the description. Absolutely. We'll do that. If people want to ask you questions, can they do that on the um, Facebook page? Absolutely, yes. And it's definitely free. Just ask me the question, send me a message, and I'll, I promise to do my best to do a video with a detailed answer. That's great. All right, Mike. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Absolutely. I tell people, reach out to those who are in the darkness because they don't see these who are in the light. I always tell people that. Famous quote, I think, but it touches me because there are a lot of people out there in the darkness. And we live in a world that if things are not exaggerated, they're not really getting our attention. Mm-hmm. And I really want to reach to those. I sometimes tell my wife, I know you don't pick who's messaging you, but give me, give me a warrior. I want to speak to those spiritual warriors and tell them, hey, you've been through so much. Please don't give up on me. Look, my goal is so much more than just Facebook likes or share. It's really to pick up people. We need it. We all look around us. The, the spiritual balance in this world has been interrupted. We've seen a lot of bad, a lot of evil, a lot of wars, a lot of suffering. And I really, really, really want to help. So I just picking people up and anybody can do it. You can just smile at somebody and make their day. Just smile. You don't have to go out of your way to do good. It's built in. Mike, thank you for that message. And thank you for coming on my show today. I appreciate you spending time with us and I wish you the best. Thank you. I appreciate you. I wish you the best as well. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.